Father, this morning we just come to you. The entrance of your word, I pray, even today, let it bring light. You have exalted your word above all your name. We too exalt your word, Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not even a dot from your word, O Lord. We were saved by the word, we are kept by the word, and one day we will be judged by the word. And therefore, Father, today help us to have hearing ears, believing heart, and the will to obey your word at the cost of anything and everything. Speak to us, teach us, mold us in the image of your Son, who is the eternal word, Lord. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Keep in mind the messages we've been listening the past few weeks. Whoever has your head, your mind, has your body. What goes first? Your mind. Your mind goes first. Almost everything, except certain things, of course, almost everything else has an origin in its even sickness. You know, if Adam and Eve hadn't taken that, that suggestion from the enemy into their mind and then obeyed and sin hadn't come, we would be disease-free, trouble-free, problem-free, everything. It all begins in the mind. But most diseases or many diseases uh, remains because it remains in our mind. A sick mind is more dangerous than a sick body. Poverty is a state of mind more than a state in which we live. It's a state of mind. You can have everything in the world be an, a pauper in your mind. And you could hardly have anything and be extremely rich towards God. Okay, These are all things first established in the mind. That's why we need to be very careful what we receive in the mind and what we believe with our heart. So continuing our series... And we continue to look Old and New Testament together. Remember last few Sundays we are looking from the book of Joshua. The battles in the book of Joshua are outside and physical. But the battles for us are inside. All that happens in our life outside are actually irrelevant compared to what happens inside. And because the actual battles are inside, the wounds, real wounds are inside. And the real weariness, tiredness of battle is inside. Battle fatigue is inside. With them, it was outside. With us, it is inside. Remember that. In First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, as an introduction to the last days, Peter says, the end of all, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious. Okay, and I will say be clear-minded, sober, clear-minded, clear-minded, serious. Sober means to be clear-minded and watchful. 
in your prayers. Because if we are not clear in our mind, our prayers will be ineffective because we don't really know what to pray for because there is no sobriety in our mind. We are not really praying without understanding what are the things we need to really genuinely pray for. In the next chapter, in verse chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9, scripture says again, be sober, be clear-minded, sober, have control over your thinking. Be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That is the enemy we have, an adversary, he's an enemy, and he walks around like a lion, roaring, meaning to intimidate us, resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. All around the world, believers, even actually this this morning's news, international news on Fox was talking about the Christians all around the world are the most persecuted group on planet earth. Peter said that, don't get offended by your your suffering. Don't get discouraged by it. You are just being part of the brotherhood. They are going through the same sufferings. I hope you are. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, James will say, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay. I don't know whether I gave this title before, but the title of uh, today's message is Submit, Resist, Flee. Okay. In Joshua 7 and verse 1, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took off the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. John, Joshua chapter 7, they're going out to battle. They're going out to battle without knowing Something has happened in their midst. The first battle was much easier because they just had to destroy it. Because God had already destroyed the city when the walls came in down. But the second time they are going out on a frontal attack and they are going to face a terrible, humiliating defeat. And they had no clue why they were defeated because something had happened in their midst. If you remember the old, old days, if you've read Dickens and Oliver Twist and all that, if you know, in the old days when thieves went to rob houses and all the doors and all are firmly locked, you will also see they will take a little boy with them who's been trained, a little boy, because there will be one small little window which may be open for air and they push him through that. The boy goes in and goes inside and opens the back door for them and the thieves get in. That's how they used to do and Oliver Twist was actually used for that and caught. Okay. Charles Spurgeon says, when Satan cannot get you down with a big sin, he will trap you with a small one. Trap you with a small one. The small one will get in and you don't realize the small one will one day open the door for the big one. Okay? Here, they didn't even realize. We are looking at a generation that overcame. Last week we saw desert babies. What defined them was how their minds 
functioned. They had shut their minds to every other voice in the desert, even to the complaints and the groanings of their parents, and listened to the voice of God that came through Moses. So this is a generation that is ready to fight the battle because their minds have conformed to the word of God, to the image of God. You will see before and after God has done this with individuals in the Bible. But this is the first time he does and it works with an entire congregation, an entire set of people. That's why it is so interesting that God could actually change the mindset of an entire nation and they overcome. Then the devil sneaks in and he brings death and confusion. A lot of them die, around 23 or 26 of them die that day. Young ones who minds were conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, who were ready to battle, ready to possess the land, without even possessing one inch, they die because of one guy. The one guy, they die. Okay? So also remember, the first sin, the first sin to manifest in the promised land, in the midst of the new generation, was the sin of covetousness. Beware. Beware. Okay. Akin, when he's destroyed and his family is destroyed, we will see he has children. So for all probability, when God judged the first generation, Akin was under 20. Was under 20. Remember the first generation was judged two years into the wilderness. So if he was under 20, he probably has a young man or a teenager saw the hand of God in his, in Egypt. He has seen all the miracles, the plagues of God, the judgment of God over Egypt. He had come through the Red Sea. He's walked the desert for 40 years. He's eaten manna every day of his life for 40 years. He's drunk from that rock that was Christ too. His clothes did not wear off, nor did his sandals wear off. He has experienced the miracle of God. He's one of that young generation who probably saw everything under 20. He's come into the promised land. He's also vowed as God is was with you, Joshua. Moses, if God is with you, we will follow you. We will do everything. He was part of that. Wow. He saw the priests go into the river Jordan. He saw the river Jordan split dry. And he is one of those who crossed over. He is somebody who ate the produce of the land. He saw the manna ceasing. He saw the walls of Jericho fall. He even kept his mouth shut for seven days as they marched around the walls of Jericho. He saw the walls fall. He saw the miracle of a city falling without them having to do anything. And he saw one part of the wall standing because there was a crimson red across the, uh, across the window. He saw it all. And then scripture says he coveted something. Something. Piece of gold and a cloth. A Babylonian dress. Remember that. So never underestimate the power of sin in the fallen man. I was listening, I heard a preacher say, in a pastor, I heard about a preacher say about another preacher in a pastor's conference. He says, though Jesus is in your heart, your grandfather is in your bones. Meaning, <laughs> Jesus is in your heart. 
but Adam is in your bones. Don't forget that. Never forget that until we are rescued from this body, who will rescue? That is the cry of the saints. It's not, what should I do with this body, Lord? When will I escape the trap of this body to experience you without the temptation and the struggles with sin? That's the cry of saints for thousands of years. So on that day, in Joshua chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down 36 men, for they chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Did you see how quickly tables can turn? Quickly. Earlier it was written, because they are the kings of the land, when they heard what God had done for Israel, how he had dried up the river Jordan, their hearts had melted. That was a reversal. Their hearts. Devil was supposed to flee before us. Now we are fleeing before the devil. Their enemies were supposed to flee before them, but they are fleeing before their enemy. God's answer. They cry, they weave. Joshua weaves. They have lost courage. They have lost. See, Joshua is not a bold man. You need to understand. We think that Joshua, mighty Joshua, it was not. He was a weakling. It is, you see, when God says something to us, we need to be very careful. Why is God saying? He didn't tell Moses, be bold and courageous. He didn't say that. He knew he was bold. But to Joshua, he said, you be bold and courageous, Joshua, be bold. Because he looks into us and he tells us those things we actually struggle with. So when you read the Bible, you look at to what God is telling specific groups. And you need to realize, because he is not a manufacturer. He is the creator. There's a difference between a manufacturer and a creator. A manufacturer makes things from things that are already existing. He puts them together and puts them together. But a creator is creating something out of nothing. So he knows us like no one ever will know us. So when God tells be bold and courageous, Joshua, he knows Joshua is not a courageous person. And the first defeat you will see him saying, Lord, why did you bring us here? When he tells husbands, Love your wives as, why does he tell that husbands? Because he knows that it's a struggle of every man to love his wife. Why does he tell wives submit your husband in all things? Because he knows after the fall that it's a struggle of every woman. Why does he tell children obey your parents? Because he knows after the fall that it's a struggle of every child. So entire Bible you'll only find a few Scatterings of children who obeyed, but the rest of them are all struggling with obedience. Employees fear and respect your employers because he knows that's their struggle. Employers treat them very well because he knows that is their struggle. So when you read scripture, understand God knows what our struggles are and it is those struggles he is pointing to us. And once you know that struggle, then you realize that is your battle. And if that is your battle, that's where your victory lies. Because sometimes we don't even realize we are fighting battles because we think battles are outside. No, battles are inside. And when we lose those battles inside, we are actually fleeing before our enemies. 
So instead of we chasing the powers of darkness, what we see today is powers of darkness chasing us. What is the reason? Why did this happen? God says, get up. Why do you lie this thus on your face? Why are you lying on your face and crying? Israel has sinned. Now, God's diagnosis is very, very clear. Okay, Where there is sin, the only answer is repentance. Lord, heal me. God says healing won't help. You need repent. Where there is needing for healing, repentance doesn't work. Because you already repented, but you need healing. Where there is oppression, neither repentance nor healing will work. You need deliverance. So God is very clear. They have no clue. They are thinking we are fine. God brought us here. We are ready to fight. What happened, Lord? Why did you do this? God says, get up. Get up. There is sin in your camp. You have transgressed my covenant. For you took something which I told you not to take. We don't even realize to take something which God says not to take and bring such a disastrous defeat in our lives. Because if God does not fight for us, we will never win a single battle against the powers of darkness. And God had made it very clear to Israel, I'm taking you into a land with walled cities, giants, there are seven nations mightier than you, I will fight for you. If I don't fight for you, you will never win. It's impossible to win. And we don't even realize the kind of things that brings defeat into our lives. Sin will always bring defeat. God says, if you walk in sin, you will flee before your enemies. If you overcome sin, your enemies will flee before you. Enemies meaning in the powers of darkness. You know? That's why we need to know the ways of God. Ignorance is one of those, in Hosea 4.6, God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The thief comes to steal, to kill, to... How does he destroy us? Why does he destroy God's people? If you want to ask in the world, the world's number one killer is not sickness or poverty. The world's number one killer is ignorance. Number one killer is ignorance. God says, my people are destroyed because of ignorance, lack of knowledge of God's ways, how God functions, how his kingdom functions, and the righteousness of God. Our major struggle is with the righteousness of God, and people get defeated by powers of darkness because they understand very well the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. That's why, if you see the most Powerful, two most powerful nations. One was Russia, America, US. One was America. These are the two most powerful nations on planet Earth. But both of them lost in, in Afghanistan. They actually withdrew their armies. Russians were there, occupied. They withdrew. Americans have practically withdrawn just a few. Why? Because you see, they are fighting terrorism. And terrorists have no rules. How they fight. But when you are going from a free nation to fight a terrorist controlled area, you are governed by the rules of your nation. You cannot fight the way they fight because immediately outcry will be there of human rights violations. 
So you are fighting a battle with an enemy who has, who you do not know, but he knows very well you have rules. And if he fights you knowing these rules actually hinder you, he can get you out of this place. That's what they do in Palestine. What they do there in Palestine? They shoot rockets into Israel and they do it from classrooms where children are sitting. Knowing that Israel cannot fire back at the classroom because there are children sitting. Now these guys have no clue if the children die in the process because they don't care about lives. But they know on the other side they are governed by a set of rules. So the enemy knows God's kingdom is absolutely based on righteousness and that if he can make us break the laws of God's righteousness, our God will punish us. And God's people perish because of lack of knowledge of the righteousness of God, how God functions. He can bring you through every miracle in the world. He can bring you through River Jordan. He can circumcise you. He can say the reproach of Egypt is rolled over. He can bring the walls of Jericho. But you pick one thing which you're told not to think, you will lose in the next battle. Because that's how his kingdom works. For us it doesn't matter, big deal. Why should 36 people die because one guy picked a bar of gold? God says, because he broke the rule of my righteousness. Your God is righteous. That is something which we don't understand. The devil understands very well. So he uses God's righteousness against us because he knows we are ignorant about the ways of God. That's why Christian students do not prosper when they try to study or pass exams the way the world does. The Christian student who copies is the first fellow to be caught. The Christian fellow in the office who takes the bribe is the first one to be dismissed. The Christian, Christian, how does it? Because God says, I will expose you. Our mind is not like, oh, we want to cover. God says, no. I don't cover. I expose. Because that's the way my kingdom works. So first battle, they are beaten. That's why God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because you cannot have any reconciliation without repentance. Our issue is we have taken obedience out of the gospel. Therefore we have taken obedience out of our lives. They were delivered out of Egypt because they did not have the power to deliver themselves. He delivered us out of the power of the devil because we don't have the power to deliver ourselves. In the desert he fed, he clothed them, he made them but wander 40 years and let them die in the desert because of his righteousness. Because he was righteous, he took care of them. And because he was righteous, they did not inherit a single promise. Two sides. Because he was righteous, he fed them, he clothed them, he protected them. And because he was righteous, he did not let them be promoted because to be promoted, you need to keep his righteousness. A lot of Christians in 2000 years are just fed, clothed, taken care of all the days of their life, but they have never been promoted into the next level because they do not keep the righteous demands of God. Understand that. 
Please understand that he will not change. His ways cannot change. The promised land was never possessed by the first generation because they were never ready to fight. Most Christians are not ready to fight. This good fight of faith. Not ready to fight this good fight of faith. Our testimonies are not connected with our inward battles. Our testimonies are connected with, uh, we got a healing, we got a promotion, we got a rank, we made some money. Even our best testimonies will not match the testimonies of the world. For every blessing you have received outside, you can find ten other people in the world who has done better than you. The real testimony is the testimony of the battles within. The question is, can we fight? The question is, are we fighting those battles? Are we overcoming those battles? In the Bible, the New Testament, Old Testament, God gives us Pictures, very beautiful pictures about a physical fact and a spiritual truth. In Matthew 9 and verse 20, scripture says, Suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years. Life is just going out of her. She's just losing life when she should be gaining life. Instead of gaining She's actually losing. In Luke 13 and verse 11, Jesus comes to a synagogue and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could not no way raise herself up. She's bent over 18 years. Bent. It's how she comes to synagogue. 18 years. It's a physical picture of a spiritual reality of people. Let me ask this question. How long has the spirit of anger, the spirit of fear, the spirit of pride, the spirit of lust, the spirit of covetousness, or the spirit of sloth, laziness, or the spirit of gossip, bend you over in this life? What if God were to show the actual picture of our inward battles, which we are not winning. In this case, because it is physical, we are aware. But everything is not physical, it is spiritual. With Akan, it was hidden for 40 years. And he never dealt with it. But one day it came out into the open. He perished, his household perished, and 36 innocent men also perished. Because he hadn't dealt with something that was deep within. With Moses, it was deep within, hidden anger. One day when it should have never come out, it came out. And he lost his chance to be an overcomer in the promised land. That's why Peter says, be clear-minded, be sober, clear-minded. Because the devil is prowling and he knows. And he knows. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 scripture says, We know that we are of God. And the whole world, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 
The question is, how does the devil control the wicked ones? How does this control the, the whole world? How does he control? Because when I look around, I don't see any devil around. How does he, but scripture says the whole world is controlled by him. The whole world lies under the sway, under the control of the, of the wicked one. How does these spirits, these demons, these spirits control this whole world? God shows us in scripture. In Galatians chapter 5, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now come back to verse 19. This is when it happens, what we know, experience in us and outside of us. We experience it in us and others experience outside. But add to this behind, spirit of adultery, spirit of fornication, spirit of uncleanness, spirit of lewdness, spirit of idolatry, spirit of sorcery, spirit of hatred. Add spirit to everyone and you will know who is controlling you and who is con- how he is controlling the world. This is how he controls the world. There are spirits behind everything. And if you give in to these over and over, they become established strongholds. In certain settings, when everything is like, it's, it's, it's like the boy, because there are traffic lights and traffic cops and cameras, he drives carefully. And power goes, no cop. He knows the cameras are not working. Boom, he goes. What happened? When the setting was right, Moses was patient, 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 holding it, holding it, holding it, and one day he lost it. Why? Because there was something hidden inside, which even he didn't realize. That's why God says, this is how they control. These are the spirits that rule this world, and they rule the lives of people. All these things in us, Primarily are first manifested as emotions. Then our thinking, once that emotion takes over, our thinking gets warped, messed up. Now that emotion starts controlling our thinking. And when we look at that person, we feel so angry. Because that emotion is controlling our anger. That's why sometimes when you go to a place, you meet a complete stranger whom you, you know you're meeting him for the first time or her for the first time. Sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't like them even though you have never seen them. Because their face reminds you of somebody to which an emotion is attached in your past. That's why God sends you familiar looking strangers into our life so hidden emotions can be revealed. When you thought I had got over it, God says, no, you haven't. It's just hidden. It's just hidden. 
That's what God is saying. Our thinking gets warped. And then, if you don't deal with it, ultimately destruction will follow. That's why scripture says, be sober, be clear-minded and pray always so that you will really know what are the issues to pray about. Pray about. Be sober. Say sober. Be sober. You know, if you are not sober, what happens? Genesis 9 and verse 21. He drank of the wine and was drunk and lay uncovered. When we lose control of our mind, we uncover ourselves. You may think you are the most put this front before people. You are the most patient man on earth. And one day you lose control. And then the words that come out of your mouth... It's not just anger. Along with anger came all the filth that was hidden in the heart. Look at you and says, Wow, I never thought you think like this. I never thought you even knew these words. He was drunk and he uncovered himself. So remember, be clear-minded. Be clear-minded. Be clear-minded. In Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, it talks about a man who was fighting this inward battle. This is Lot. God delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Three times the word of God calls him righteous. He's living right in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the midst of sin and iniquity. But Bible calls him righteous. Why? Why does it call him righteous? Because he's fighting his battle inside. And he's winning. He has no work outside to proclaim he did this for the Lord. There are two things which we do by faith. One, we win the battle inside. And then one, we win the battle outside where we do exploits for God. In Lord's name, there is nothing he has done for the Lord. But he has won the battle inside. He is righteous inside because he is seeing all these things happening outside. And inside, he is fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. And therefore, he is clear-minded when it comes to sin. Therefore, even his daughters realize we cannot make our father do something which he will never do. So let's get him drunk. Let's get him drunk. The girls knew their father very well. This guy won't do it. He won't. Because he's a man who is winning his inward battle. Though he does nothing for God. Understand this. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 8 and 9. Saul was very angry and saying displeased him and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. To me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now you look at it. King Saul is an old man. He's a king, old king. Much, 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 much older man. Okay, Even his sons are younger than David. Sorry, older than David. David is just a teenager. Just a teenager. Let us think about it, okay? Mahesh came here and he did an offertory and he sang so well. Now look at him and I'm jealous. Hey, he took the attention of the people from me. Think about it, how ridiculous it is, right? Think about this. This is a king, probably 50, 60 years old. 
And this is a teenage boy. Did he ever think this little sin he allowed in would one day lead to anger, bitterness, murder and he would be a reprobate and his head would be cut off and his body pinned to the Philistine wall? Did he think this would where he would start? Did we ever think this was the beginning? That he would forget the entire purpose of God, the anointing of God, what he is supposed to do, so for whom he is supposed to battle. He forgets the Philistines, he forgets his enemies the rest of his life. He's chasing David. One little thing. Never underestimate the power of sin. The power of the flesh. Satan just put a little boy through the window. And he will open the back door. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Job and his servants with him and all Israel and they're destroyed. But he remained. Did you think in your own terms that one day you decided I'm not going to school. You're perfectly well but you decided I'm not going to school, I'm going to bunk. That one decision is going to cost him his family, his nation, and lead the nation down. One little lazy decision. The time when kings go to war, David remained at home. Simple. You look back in the history of many men, one day when God opens the annals of history, it will be written, one day when you are supposed to go to work, he didn't go. And he stayed at home. And that was the beginning of his downfall. One day when she was supposed to do this thing, she did not do. And the devil saw that open space and he entered. That was the beginning of her downfall. Did you ever see that as simple as that? That was the beginning. That was the beginning. That's why God puts all these things in the Bible to teach us. Do not take you. Have an enemy. The lion, the devil is a roaring lion, prowling, checking us out, checking us out, checking us out, checking us out, and never stand strong in your strength. Don't think I can handle it. God says you cannot handle it. Only I can handle it. But if you want me to handle it, listen to me. Listen to me. Ask of me. Listen to me. Ask of me. I will tell you what to do. That's what scripture says in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. Do not give place to the devil. Don't give place to the devil. Do not give place to the devil. So where is, where is your mind now? Do I have your mind? Or you gave place to the devil? Do I have your mind? Don't give place to the devil. At the time in the church, when you are supposed to be listening carefully, Don't let your mind go elsewhere. That's what David did. Stay focused. Do not give place to the devil. See where our minds are. In Colossians chapter 3, Bible is very, very clear. If you want to fight this battle, look at eternal things. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Yes. For you died, your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ who is our life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, 
The battle is being defined. This is the battle you are fighting with. Therefore, when he comes, you should come with glory. To come with glory, this is what you need to do now. Put to death the members which are on earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is... Remember, that's what Akan caught. He was caught with idolatry, covetousness. Because of these things, what is coming? The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. We are trying to escape the wrath of God. And God says, if you want to escape the wrath of God, be very clear where your mind is. And see where your, how your heart, your emotions, your mind, your thinking is going. In verse 7 and 8, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourself are put off all these things. What? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Filthy language. Say filthy language. Because I know many of you young ones, when you are in school and college, you think it is cool to use filthy language. And I'm promising you with the authority of word, you don't cut it out of your life. You're the wrath of God will come upon your life one day. You think it's very cool to use all those words. You want to gel with the worldly crowd and God says the wrath of God is because today if you watch in the western media, if you watch the western news media except for Fox, most of the liberal, the kind of language the news reporters use, you have to shut your ears and switch off the, the channel. Absolute filth they will call their own president. That's the standard to which it has come down. I'm not talking about movies. I'm talking about news. What about movies? I don't know. What about movies? All the movies you watch, they have good language? You think you're going to listen and listen and listen and not pick that language? It doesn't become part of your system? You may fool, but one day it will come out of your mouth. Be careful. Scripture says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming and it is coming. It's getting closer and closer. Every second ticks by. Because the reason why I'm saying is, when you see these things, when you're fighting these things, you know, the battle is real. The battle is real. This is the proof you are in a war. Before I was saved, I never had any of these battles. Never had any of this battle. Didn't bother me at all. I still remember in college when I first, before I got saved, the guys who walked with me loved me because they said you have a sense of humor. But says, please, James, every second word is obscene. Then I got saved. The next day onwards, they looked at me and said, what has happened to you? The first thing God took out of my tongue was obscenity. And I didn't even realize it was gone. I didn't even realize it was gone. And I am telling you, people use obscenity like no man's business. Be very careful. Be very careful. All these things are serious things. You see, how God works. You study the Bible. You look at the Bible. You need to understand why these things are so important to God. Because keep your eyes fixed about. Don't look into this world. Look up. Look how God has ordered his kingdom. And it's revealed through his son, through his word, through his spirit. In Genesis chapter 2 and uh, verse 8, scripture says, The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Okay? Next, in Genesis 3, 
to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it and all the days of your life, both the thorns and the thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. Something is changed between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Go back to Genesis 2, 8. When you read scripture, you have to read scripture carefully. The Lord planted. God planted. He did not plant a jungle. He planted a garden. He did not plant a jungle. He planted a garden. See, when I, when I grew up in that other country, we had garden, flower garden in the front, and the kitchen garden in the, in the, in the one side, and at the back, and I loved it. Because it's the thrill, the joy of a little boy studying in class four and five. You know, my dad would give us little plots, and you dug, you made the plots, and you made a channel for the water to flow. That was the joy part. There is plenty of water in that town. Plenty. You don't ever have to worry about water. So you open the tap in the, in the bathroom, allow the water to come and you allow the water to plow, water your entire garden. We planted everything. Beans here, tomatoes here, onions here. It was my job. One thing you need is that if you want to plant garden, you need order. Jungles don't need order. It'll grow everywhere. If you leave a garden untended, it will become a jungle. And he put the man whom he had formed to tend to the garden. Let me ask you a question. Is your life resemble more of a garden or a jungle? Is your mind resemble more of a garden or a jungle? Is there order in your thoughts? What is it? How is your mind? How are our lives? Little by little, is order coming back? Are we trying to bring? That's what God is talking about, be clear-minded. There is order. In jungle, there is no order. We had both. We had one side, we had garden. Another time, another year, parents were posted right next to a wildlife sanctuary. Then it was not wildlife sanctuary, it was a jungle. Half of the man's wildlife sanctuary was in India, the other half was in Bhutan, and we lived next to a jungle. With all elephants and leopards and bears, and you name it, they were all there. And the nights they came out, the elephants came, the herd came out, and dad and I used to sit at the veranda and watch them go. My sister would go under the cot, the lantern was put off, used to watch. And every day evening and every weekend, we went through the jungle to the river. But during rainy seasons, when you couldn't go, three weeks later, when you went, you had to take a machete with you to cut a way through because the jungle had overgrown. The difference between a jungle and a garden. So many people, their minds are like a jungle that God has to cut a way through before he can even touch you. God says, no, I did not plant thorns and thistles. I planted a garden. When man sinned, the garden started bringing forth thorns and thistles. And then, you know what? Out here, it's all messed up. And God says, 
Would he bring order back? Would he bring order back? That's what God is talking about. Do we see that? Order? How does our spiritual life, do we have order? Do we have order in our lives? There has to be some kind of an order in our life. Do we have structure? Do we tend the garden after we plant it? That's what God is talking about. There has to be order. And that is the battle we are fighting against disorder in our souls. The world is total chaos, disorder. It's only outwardly they show. The minute law and order is taken off, that's why societies collapse into disorder. Because the disorder that is inside is just being manifested outside. All you need is take the cops and the cameras off disorder descends. But God says no. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is because there is order being implanted inside. So outside you don't need cops. You don't need cops. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 and 5 scripture says whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has come overcome the world of our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. He says anything and everybody born of God has to overcome the world. It's a battle. And we already saw what the world is. What is the world? How does the world, how does the enemy control the world through these spirits? If I have not overcome my anger, continuously overcoming more and more and more, that means I am not even in the battle, anger has overcome me. I'm not even in the battle. The very fact I'm fighting anger is a sign that I am saved. The battle itself is a sign of your salvation that you are born of God. When you're fighting jealousy, it's a sign you're born of God. When you're fighting unforgiveness, it's a sign that you're born of God. I pity those who have no battles. Go back and check your salvation. It doesn't bother me. I don't care. You know what? You probably are not saved. You're not saved. The sign of being born of God, there is a battle. This is talking about the end of the battle. But you are in battle. You are fighting it. Because overcomers are in a fight. And the battle itself is a proof. In this city also, in cities you will see, old structure was there and then somebody else bought it and they are going to build something there. So they will put up all this huge metal or plastic hoardings uh, and cover it. But you go into that place, you will see the whole thing has been broken down. Full place is a mess. Bricks and dust and steel and iron and cement and sand. And you look there and say, my God, what a mess. But you know what the mess signifies? There is a construction going on. The mess itself is a sign. There is a construction that is happening. The very mess in your life should be a proof that there is a construction God is doing inside you. It should not be the false worldly order because there is no battle inside That's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. Do not get comfortable with your sin. Do not be comfortable with your flesh. Do not be comfortable with those ways because the wrath of God is coming on those things. Because of those things. 
So demolition sites are not bad because it's a proof that there is going to be a construction there. That's how you overcome by faith. Everybody in the world has faith. Everybody. But it's not saving faith. They have faith in the world. They have faith in people. They have faith in ideas. They have faith in objects. But saving faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And the assurance of my faith, the proof of my faith is Romans 1.5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for what? Obedience. Why am I fighting anger? Because God said the fight anger. The wrath of man does not bring the righteousness of God. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Why do we fight anger? Because God said so. God said so. So we are trying to obey the word of God with the power of the spirit of God and that is the proof of your salvation. Let not anybody have the root of bitterness. Why do we fight with bitterness? Because we realize God says it's unacceptable. Why do we fight jealousy? Because God says behind it is a spirit of jealousy. And God says kings have been destroyed by that spirit because they were jealous over a little boy. We fight these things and we are bringing our mind to the obedience of faith. That's proof. Because people say, how do you know you are saved? I know I am saved because of the battles I am fighting. Because all those who are born of God overcomes the world. You can never overcome unless you fight. One generation who came out of Egypt never overcame anything because they were not willing to fight. A second generation was willing to fight, therefore they overcame and possessed the land. The first generation were not defeated in the promised land. They were defeated first in their mind in the wilderness itself. So they didn't even have to go to the promised land. They were defeated before even they fought a single battle. That's why I said, you are defeated first here. You win here first. God is saying, be serious. This is what real salvation is. Be serious. This is the fight we are in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, connected with the battle, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity. What? To the obedience of Christ. Not my obedience. Lord, I am good. I'm obeying you. That's not my standard. My standard is to look at the obedience of Christ and see if I'm coming up to that obedience. Because I may feel I'm better than somebody else. Somebody may feel he's better than somebody else. That is not the mark. There's only one mark. That is Christ. There's only one obedience. The obedience of Christ. Otherwise, we'll all feel good. But God says, no. And bringing ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. God demands a fulfillment of our obedience because we are not saved by works. No, we, 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 we fulfill the righteousness of God through our obedience. Get this clear. Because all these things matter. Because everybody talks about the last days without realizing that is what practically Jesus and the apostles taught every day was about the last days. The end. The end, day and the hour were not known. But everything that was written was written primarily to prepare us for that day. Let me ask this young one sitting here. When you go to school, 
you may learn many subjects and you are receiving an education. But the teacher also always reminds you about the fact of exams. Right? After all the classes, if you still fail the exam, the grade card will only show failed. Nothing matters how many hours you spend in the class, how many notes you took. None of these things matter. The only thing is grade says E. Not extraordinary. Extraordinary, yes. After so much effort, how did you fail? The only thing that matters is, will you pass the exam in the same token? After all the attending of churches, meetings, Bible studies, notes, memorizing scripture, all these activities, what if we fail the test? Second Corinthians 13 and verse 5, scripture says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. How do you know you are in the faith? Because I'm fighting. I know I'm in the faith. Because whoever is born of God overcomes this world. And how do we overcome? Through our faith. So the very fact I'm fighting this battle itself is proof. Test yourself. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are discovered. So in this battle, you're battling this battle. But how do you know, yes, I am fighting this battle? Is that enough? No. How do you know in this battle Jesus Christ is in you? See, there are people in the world also who fight the same battles. Told you this long time ago. Once I was traveling from Guwahati to Hyderabad. I got into the train in from Guwahati and there was this religious leader of another religion in there all in white and this thing. His devotees all brought him. He was in the seat next to me. They came, flowers, touched his feet, this thing and all came. Then from Assam he entered into Bengal. Bengal was ruled by CPM. You know, who cares for nobody. Between NJP, New Jalpaiguri, to Cal- few stations for, vendors come and they will sell you everything under the sky. Electronic goods smuggled from China to Badam, everything. One of these union guy with his basket of Badam put his basket and touched this holy man's feet. The holy man lost his holiness. He told him, move the basket. He said, I am not. When I finish selling, I will move the basket. It began into a fight. The shocking was not the fight. The shocking part was the language that came out of the holy man's mouth. I looked, I was was watching this. And I realized, you know what? They also fight this fight. We also fight this fight. So how do you know your fight is genuine and his fight is not? Our fight is this. Christ, if he's fighting the battle within you, Christ wins. He never loses. Understand that. Christ wins. That's why it's saying, if you look at it, there, do you see yourself winning? No. Jesus Christ. Christ never lost a single battle. Christ wins. Whatever you are struggling with, you fight it in your own ways, you will never win. 
you hand it over to Christ and ask him to help you and the power of the Holy Spirit to come through, you will win. And you will fight in this battle until you have that spirit under your feet and keep him under your feet. That's what it is talking about. Remember, please don't think this fight is only, because religion also teaches people to fight these fights, but they cannot win. They cannot win. That's why you see Greek philosophers, Greek scholars in the ancient past who, who thought about these issues of life, you will see many of them committed suicide. Even Socrates drank hemlock and died. Why? Because in this, they couldn't win, win those battles. They committed suicide while Jesus willingly died. They committed suicide while Stephen prayed for his enemies and he died. Did you see? Because Christ was winning the battles. Stephen was winning the battle. Paul was winning the battle while others lost it. Even though they were Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, incredible men. They all lost the battles. They lost the battle. The battle is won here. It is won by Christ. And it is manifested outside. That is why it is important we fight. It's important we fail a few times, get up, fight, fight, until you win and keep winning. Because that's a sign Christ is winning in you. We are safe only as long as we are fighting and overcoming. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, God tells the church, He who He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of your name will still remain there. It won't be taken out. Why? Because you are overcoming. The one who writes can also blot out. Understand that. It's a battle. And the battle is first fought in the mind. In the mind you have to decide. All the young girls sitting in the front in the mind you have to decide first because don't ever think you are too young to hate. Don't ever think you are too young to hate. Nobody should ever think you are too young to hate. You are old enough to hate. And it could be so deep inside that you may not even know that you have it. It could take you to hell to the point you may pray to harm others. Remember that. I hear stuff. I hear stuff. That's why I'm telling you. Be very careful. God says, bless your enemies. Pray for them. Leave it into God's hands. Don't ever think you're too young to hate. That's why a generation is growing up in Palestine. Little kids, little, little kids, primary school, given toy guns, taught to hate Jews. Kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them. What do you think they are going to grow up as? Taught to hate. Taught to kill. And their minds are warped. That's why they go and get killed by the Israeli forces when they are trying to break through the walls. Because they have been taught like that. Please be careful. Be very, very careful. We think all these outside battles, I have won, I have got my promotion, I got my house, I got my car. God says, irrelevant in the kingdom. 
Eternity, this means nothing. Nothing can compare to what you build on earth to what he has kept for you in heaven. Nothing. The question is, are you winning the battles inside? Are you winning? That's why I said there are two sides of faith. One is the inside battle, which Lot won. But he lost the outside battle. He never built anything. The other side of the battle is the things we do outside by faith for God. You you have to win one and two. You have to have one and two to be complete in Christ. You can have two, the outside works, losing the inside battle. I'll show you examples from the Bible. First Samuel chapter 10. It was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him Samuel another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet them. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly so that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And the next one. The Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news and his anger was greatly aroused. He's anointed, he's prophesied, he's angry with the anger of the Lord. And the next verses. So it was on the next day, Saul put the people in three companies. They came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. He prophesied, he won his battles outside. But he was destroyed Inside by jealousy for a little boy. Understand two sides? Like a coin has two sides. Faith has two sides. The battle I fight inside and the work that I do for. You could be incredibly successful in the work you do outside by losing the battle inside. And if you lose the battle inside, you still end up in hell. On the other hand, you have done nothing on the other side, but you have won the battle inside, you still end up in heaven. That's how it works. What God wants is us to win battle one and two, both. That's what First Corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 to 15 says. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Each one's work will become clear for that day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. He's getting a reward for the work he built. And then, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but himself will be saved yet as through fire. Why? How is he saved? Because his foundation was right. It's foundation. What is the foundation? It's the, the life of Christ inside his battling. It's foundation. That's why I said it's important that the foundation. Why is the world's good works never a foundation? Because they had never had a foundation. So watch out for your life. How you deal with the people close to you. That is what matters. Why did God say, love not the world or or because when I love the things of the world, I, t- I, I cannot love the things of the world and love people at the same time. I take the love for people away and put it in things. That's a problem. The problem is not with things. The problem is with love. The minute you love dresses, 
you will not be able to really love the sister next to you who is better dressed than you. It is not possible. The spirit of jealousy will come when she's, you see she's better dressed than you. If you love cars, oh, when your neighbor buys a better car. Now, you don't even have to buy, you just have to book a Uber. You see why God said don't to love things? Because love is meant for people, not for things. And if you love things, you have to withdraw it from somewhere. No, my heart is so big, I have enough love for things and people. No, God said it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Ultimately, this is where the judgment comes in. And the fact is that the first part of faith is the foundation. How do I know my life? Christ is there. You cannot build on any other foundation other than Jesus Christ. That's why examine yourself whether you are in the faith. And what is that? Jesus Christ is within you. How do I know Jesus Christ is within you? I am fighting for the very things Christ is fighting for. Two, Christ is fighting for me because I am winning. If I am fighting it myself, I am losing. If Christ is fighting, he is winning. Therefore, I know I am saved. And I am being saved. I am being saved. Otherwise, the works don't matter. And like, Lord, I built this house in Sodom. I built all this. I had all these cattle and flocks. But I am fighting unrighteousness in my life. Every day the righteous man in his righteous soul was fighting the filth of Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire came. All his wealth was burned away. But he was saved through the fire. Why? In him, there was a life that met the righteousness of Christ. That is what the Bible is talking about. That is where this has to be very, very, like I said on, on Sunday. We prepare for a wedding day. You never prepare for the marriage. The wedding is one day. The marriage is for a lifetime. But it is in marriage where your vows are tested. Oh, wedding day, hold hands. Oh, forsaking all others. Looking into eyes, blinking. Oh, you look at them. So cute. It is cute. And then life begins. And you realize you only prepared for the wedding. You were never prepared for the marriage. Prepare for the marriage here, for better or worse. For sickness or health. Poverty or riches. Here. For marriage, you prepare here first. My yes is yes. My no is no. I don't quit. I don't quit on this. That's where it works. Understand that. We, Like I said, we like the product. We don't like the process. The battles are fought in the process. Lord, the foundation stone was intact. That's what we saw in Second Peter 2, 7 and 8. So he was rescued. Yet when fire came into Saul's life, the foundation stone was gone. By then God had blotted his name from the book of life. If you want to put in new covenant terms. Rewards are only for those who continue in their salvation. That is why we study scripture carefully. Because Jesus said, my words are words of life. Understand that. 
understand this is a real battle a battle we will fight every day all the days of our life but the battle keeps on changing i don't struggle with obscenity speaking obscenity foul language anymore that's not my struggle my struggle is in other things i tell pastors i tell senior pastors i tell them you know brother the older we grow in the lord the older we grow the lord will answer our prayers even more slowly they said why because it says for us he demands a virtue which is very paramount in the kingdom of god which is called patience he says noah all the mighty men through patience possessed the promises of god and he says no man of god will be deprived of that virtue and one way he creates that you ask for something and you know it is right you know you have fit all the parameters but the answer doesn't come because he says i'm teaching you to be patient wait 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 this battle never finishes some of our battles are with impatience lord when understand there is god's side and my side god's demands man's obedience they are perfectly met let me show you this 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 incredible part of god incredible incredible part of god in romans 11 verse 19 to 23 you will say then branches were broken off that i may be grafted in who is this the gentile will say who i am the vine you are the branches natural branches israel broken and grafted me in oh i feeling good you know what yehudi was broken off and i was put in i'm better than yehudi god says wait a minute because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith the only reason you are there is because of faith when your faith goes you also go they went because their faith went you are in because of your faith your faith goes like they went you too will go Do not be haughty but fear. Do not be haughty but fear. All the young ones with their bibles and notebooks and all this do not be haughty fear because to whom much is given much is required. For if God did not spare the natural branches he may not spare you either. Are you getting it? If God did not spare the natural children of God Abraham's natural children the Jews he may not spare us the spiritual children therefore consider the goodness of God and the severity of God two things you have to consider the goodness of God and the severity of God don't only think about God is good all the time all the time God is good also saying God is severe all the time all the time he is severe that is balancing our god is a loving kind father our god is a consuming fire when therefore consider the goodness and the severity of god on those who fell severity but towards you goodness condition if you continue in his goodness otherwise you also will be continue in his goodness because why god is righteous God is righteous. God will not compromise with his righteousness. That's why God is very clear about getting things. He says, you fathers being evil. You know what? We are and therefore we give good things to our children. Okay, my son did that. Okay, still take this. What do we do? 
we blink at righteousness because we allow love, our carnal love to overcome righteousness. God doesn't do that. Because his entire kingdom is held together by his righteousness. Continue in his kindness. Continue in his goodness. How do I continue in his goodness? What is the great gift God has given you and me to continue in his goodness? Romans 2, 4 says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness? Forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that goodness of God leads you to? Leads you to? Do you see? The very sign that I repent is a sign I'm continuing in his goodness. If you know you are wrong and you don't repent, you are not continuing in his goodness. And if you continue in your rebellion, you are slowly being cut off. That is how you look inside in these battles to know, Lord, is my, is, is my battle genuine? Am I really working out my salvation with fear and trembling? Because you do something which you know you should not have done, you repent. When you don't repent, you are forsaking the goodness of God. And what is left, if you continue in that, the severity of God. Unbelievable. The rest of the world cannot understand this God of Israel. How can you bring a people, destroy the nation of Egypt, bring your people, destroy the Pharaoh and his army, bring them up, clothe them, feed them, cover them, light by night, um, cloud by day, take them all around and then kill them all in the desert. What is this? God says, because of my righteousness. Nobody can understand the God of Israel. Because that's not the gods of this world. Gods of the world don't, don't demand that righteousness. That kind of righteousness, no God demands. Tell me one God in this world who demands that kind of righteousness. Nobody demands. Not a single God of any culture you pick it up. They don't demand. But our God, the real God demands. Therefore we have to be very, very clearly aware kindness and the goodness of God. When you talk about grace, balance it with truth. Grace and truth came with Jesus Christ. When you talk about the loving God, don't forget he's a consuming fire. When you talk about the love of God, don't forget to mention the fear of God. Because the battle against sin. When you battle against sin, you understand who your God is. So always balance it. In Romans 9, 20 and 21, we see the sovereignty of God. Oh, indeed, oh man, who are you to reply against the God? Will the thing formed say to him, who formed it? Have you made me, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Can't, can't the potter make two pots? And he decide, okay, this will be in my house, this will be outside. This for honor, this for dishonor. Doesn't he have the right? That's the sovereignty of God. One man for his honor, one man for his dishonor. One man as an example, one man for his judgment. He says, that's my prerogative, I am sovereign. Lord, I am caught in this sovereignty, what will I do? He says, balance it with the obedience of man. Second Timothy? Yes. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Same words. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. He says the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. 
can the pot fill the potter? How did you make like that? God says, can you talk, can you talk like that? A potter make one for one vessel for honor, one vessel for dishonor. That means when you set that way, no, you chose that way. You chose that way. God says, you chose that way. When I made Saul, I would meant him to be a vessel of honor. I told him, you and your generations forever. If you obey me, listen to my voice, follow my commandments, I promise you, your generation will always sit on the throne. But he chose to be a vessel of dishonor. And in my sovereignty, I already knew this is how we learned. But I didn't make, I didn't intend him to be that way. He chose to become that. He says, if anyone cleanses himself or herself. That's our choice. Balance scripture, balance. Put emotions at the back seat. Put it at the back seat. Because 21st century Christians are full, full emotional. As we say in Telugu land, full emotional only. And it's very easy for preachers to manipulate emotions. It's very difficult to manipulate reason. Very difficult to manipulate reason. It's very easy to manipulate emotion. If I have to, if I have to get your reason, I have to stand by it and show you from words, from words, from words, from words, the order of God's kingdom, the order of ways, ways. He's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. This is the way until it is fixed in your mind and in your reason. This is who God is. This is how it works. But if you want to manipulate your emotions, it's very easy. Get the worship team over here and tell Peter, Peter, and this. And drummer, at the back. And then I start manipulating emotion. Brother, God is for you. It doesn't matter. Once saved, always saved. Once you have come to Jesus Christ, your past, present and future sins are forgiven. Then why should you worry about the mark of the beast? Why should I fight sin? I got you on your emotions. God is interested in your health. God is interested in your prosperity. And the music Reason. Reason is a different thing. Don't get fooled by emotions. Emotions are excellent servants. Terrible masters. Be sober-minded. Hear from God. Be very clear about the will of God. Then put your emotions wholeheartedly to obeying Him. I remember 20 years ago, 18 years ago, when I was going to that country to be with the church. And Pastor Stubbs prayed over me. Two people he prayed over on that fateful Sunday. One was me, the other was Major Lalson. I was going to Bhutan. Uh, Major Larson was going for his third stint, if I'm right, with Russia rifles into Kashmir. He never came back. He died. I came back after a couple of years. We both were prayed over the same day. And while I was leaving, this gentleman told, Vast Stubbs told me, son, remember, wisdom and zeal. That's the order. Not zeal and wisdom. Wisdom and zeal. A man with wisdom, no zeal goes nowhere. A man with zeal with no wisdom will fall. So you need to have reason and emotions pumping it. Wisdom and zeal. And 25, 30 years, I don't remember. 25 years ago, I'll tell you an interesting thing. I preached in AGs in the youth alive on a Saturday. I was a rookie. 
you know what a rookie is, just starting to preach. And I preached in the youth life, and crowded 400, 500 of them and this thing. The next day was Sunday, so I come to Sunday, I'm just ordinary sitter like you in the church. And the church went over, I said, Stubbs, put it, came out, said, put his arms around me and said, you know what, I heard you preached yesterday. And I heard you are better than me. That's when I knew I could preach. Exactly what he told me. I never knew I could preach. I am telling you is wisdom and emotions at the back, not at the front. Once Jesus knew the will of God, the will of God in his life, scripture says nobody could change his mind. He set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. When Paul knew he had to go to Jerusalem and be taken as a captive over there, even when prophet Agabus comes and shows him, he says, exactly, I already know, that is the way I need to go. Reason and emotions, not emotions in the front. Be sober-minded. That's how Paul will tell the church at Corinth how zealous they are when God corrects them. In 2 Corinthians 7, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourself. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. All these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. That's what. We all fall. There's nobody who hasn't fallen and who will not fall. We'll all fall. That's not what God is not looking at. David fell worse than most of the people, but God saw the zealousness in his repentance. And he says, you know what? The way this guy went out to clear himself, the way he was broken over what he did, the way he was able to vindicate the righteousness of God, the way he was able to confess, able to put it right at all, he says, you know what? This man is a man after my own heart. It is not to know, yeah, I did wrong. Sorry, Lord, I did wrong. But says, you know what? I don't see any change in him. I don't see you seeking help. I don't see you fasting over a sin. I see you fasting over a breakthrough. I saw you fasting for a promotion. I saw you calling up for a marks. I saw you calling up for exams. I never saw you fasting over a sin that has broken my heart and you are not even aware of it. What zeal? Read scripture carefully. Look at the lives of people. This is a father who understands his children. That's why he gives you commands about relationships. It's all about relationship. Husbands, wives, children, employees, employers, rulers, the ruled, the subjects, everybody. The Bible is full of relationships at every level. What are you supposed to do at home? What are you supposed to do at office? What are you supposed to do in the public space? What are you supposed to do in church? What are you supposed to do with the congregation? What are you supposed to do with your... Everything is there. Everything is there. And you look at that and say, Lord, show me. Teach me. Are you getting it? Konjam, konjam. Are you fighting this battle? You see this battle inside you? Do you see these battles you are fighting? Because the call of God is genuine. And the genuineness of your call is shown by your battles. 
and your willingness to fight this battle. It's in the battle, you know, whether you overcome or not. And always study the life of the believers in the Bible and how they fought, how they lost, how they won. Look at it all. In Genesis 11 and verse 31, the first battle of the first man. What does scripture say? Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lord, the son of Haran, his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. Is the call of Abraham true? Is he moving by faith? Or is he putting emotions ahead of his faith? Emotions are leading him now, not faith. Can an unbeliever lead a believer? Can a weak lead the strong? Can a fool lead the wise? And the journey stopped there. Journey stopped there. Journey stopped. It's very painful this battle. He's not able to win this battle. Because that's his father. Battles are not easy. Battles are very painful. In the Joshua chapter battles, they bled outside. In this battle, we bleed inside. In the Joshua, book of Joshua, the battles, you're fighting outside. Here you're fighting inside. How do I leave my father? It was very painful. But it was necessary. But God waited. It's not going to push anything on Abraham. He's very young in the faith. He waited until his father died. Genesis 12, 4 to 5. Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. First says went. 5 when you read Abraham took Sarah his wife and took Lot his brother's son. Now he took. In a call of God you don't take everyone. Even Jesus would not take everyone. Some of the places he went, he wouldn't take most of his disciples. He only took three of his disciples. And some of the places he went, especially every day when he went to pray, he would take no one. He would take no one. Early in the morning he rose. He didn't wake Peter, come and support me. John, come and stand beside me. James, come and stand before me. He went alone. There was a pattern in his life. He didn't take everyone with him. When Jairus' daughter is being healed, he took only three with him and kept all the others outside. When he went to the Mount of Transfiguration, he took only three disciples. He kept all the others outside. You don't take everyone. The call is genuine. But the pain is real. Even on his last final but one day, final day prayer, you know how he goes? In Luke 22. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. He had order. Prayer life very order. Clear order of prayer. And his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place he said to them, see he came to the mountain and he had a very specific place in that garden where he prayed every day. He didn't have a house so he prayed in gardens. And in every garden he had a, if, you, if you were living those days you go there you would have probably seen two imprint of two knees dug into the mud knowing that this is where he prayed every day came to that place. He said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He says, there's going to be a struggle. There's a battle coming. If you don't pray, the enemy will win. 
The enemy is coming. If you don't pray, you will lose. They didn't pray, they fell asleep, therefore they lost. When they came to arrest him, they all ran. They ran before the enemies. Okay? He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. I know if I throw a stone from here, I can throw it beyond that door. So Peter, James, John are all here. Jesus goes that far away from them and he prays. Cannot take everyone with you everywhere. So God will allow conflict to arise to separate. You see, God sees the end from the beginning. Are you getting it? The battle inside. First battle of Abraham, Terah has to die. Second battle, he loves his nephew. Especially because he has no children. He loves his nephew. But God sees a compromiser from the beginning and at the end. So he separates the compromisers from the steady. Don't let that stop you. God will allow the compromisers in your lives to go. And he might use conflict to let them go. Don't go after them. It is God who is separating them. Don't get your emotions in the way and say, so how can I let go of this Papa has been with me all these years. God says, let him go. Because if you keep him, he will block my plans for you. Let him go. Don't put your emotions in the front. Allow God to speak to you. Then comes Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's ministry in the world without God. You know about ministries in the world without God? Its name is ministry. It's Ishmael. Isaac was Abraham's ministry with God. Let me ask you this question. Does your ministry bring contention into your life or laughter into your life? Ishmael brought contention. Isaac brings laughter. How does your ministry work out? This is for older people, okay? Children just listen. In Genesis 21 verses 9 and 10. When Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. She said, cast the bond woman and her son, for the son of this bond woman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. One is scoffing. That's why I said I have major issue with scoffers in the church. Major issue with scoffers. And when I look into scripture, scripture says, throw the scoffer out because his place is in the world. Cut them out. Let them go. Because the devil will use them to go after Isaac, what is born of God in your life. See, Ishmael is born of Egypt. His mother is Egyptian. Hagar is of Egypt, of worldly principles. Isaac is born of Sarah, the Israel of God. Sarah is the type of Israel, the bride of Christ. To Israel in Isaiah 51, verse 1 and 2, God says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. There is a Sarah ministry, there is a Hagar ministry. One is your work, the other is God's work. One will mock the other. 
know, something which, you see, this book, this wonderful, awesome book of books, I've been reading for 34 years. And I've been preaching from this for 25 years. And I've been preaching so much from the first book in the Bible, the beginnings. If you know your beginning, you know your end. Until last night, I still see stuff I never saw in 25 years and 34 years. Sarah was a type of Israel. Israel was captive in in Egypt for 400 years. Then God sent plagues into Egypt to let Israel go. Then I look at Genesis chapter 12. And scripture says, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And he said, did you see that, son? Sarah was a type of Israel taken into the Pharaoh's house. And I plagued Pharaoh's house so she could be set free so that one day I will plague Egypt to set her descendants free. He said, Lord, I never saw. Never saw. Honestly, never saw all these years. Never saw all these years. I have read this a hundred times, a thousand times. Never saw that. The types were already there. You see? Now all he has left after Ishmael is thrown out, all he has left is Isaac. Isaac is of God. But Isaac has to be bound to the altar. What does it mean? It means you cannot let emotions Govern even in your God-given ministry by faith and faith alone. Emotions are good masters. Sorry, good servants. So he will use emotions to bind Isaac onto the altar instead of disobeying God. In Hebrews 11 and verse 17, scripture says, By faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. It is by faith, not by emotions, not by feelings. We know from Romans 14 verse 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. If he had allowed feelings, he would have never bound Isaac. Never bound Isaac. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, scripture says, we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is Complete. Once your obedience is complete. Connected with Isaac. You know what James says in James chapter 2? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works his faith was made perfect or complete? When was his obedience complete? This is the fight we fight. We are not fighting with things. We are fighting powers of darkness and we are fighting battles inside. This is a walk of faith. This is a life of faith. And in this fight, some things have to die. Some things have to? Some things have to be allowed to leave. Some things have to be thrown out. Some things have to be bound to the altar. And I pray God will give you the wisdom and the discernment which is which. Which are the things that have to die in your life? Which are the people God has to allow? You have to allow them to leave. Which are the people or things you have to throw out forcibly? 
And all these people and things are close to your heart. Terah is very close to Abraham. Lot is very close to Abraham. Ishmael is very close to Abraham. Isaac is very close to Abraham. And I am sure at every time he shed tears over everyone. But he obeyed God. He didn't put his emotions first. I told a couple of mockers last week. If you force my hand, I will throw you out of church. You can understand everything else. But one thing I say, no, my strength doesn't come from people. My strength comes from the word of God. The word of God. Abraham can throw Ishmael out. I can also. Ishmael was his first son. His only son for 25 years, 13 years, 14 years, 15 years. Learn to make tough decisions in your life because it's got to do with destiny. Learn to make tough decisions in life. This is not an emotional game. This is an eternal fight we are fighting. And in this eternal fight, learn to walk like Enoch. When Enoch finished his walk, he was all alone. There was nobody. And I'm sure every step of the battle, he was wounded inside. One by one by one by one. Finally, wife also said, I am not coming. Son said, I am not coming. Daughter said, I am not coming. One by one by one. It's a tough fight. Most people don't have to fight that fight. The question is, you are prepared for any fight. Any fight. Any fight. I want the worship team to come. I want to take these things very, 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 very seriously. Very, very seriously. The walk of God as the most serious thing in your life. More serious than anybody. For Abraham, his walk with God was more important than his own father, his only nephew, his first son, and the only son as God called him. It's more important than all of it. I'm sure the most painful hour of his life was when he bound Isaac on the altar. That is the most painful. Terah died on his own. Lot moved away on his own. Ishmael could be given a bag of water and some bread and sent away. But Isaac, the last thing you thought about, the best thing in your life, Isaac, bind him on the altar, take your knife and plunge it into his heart. Lord, are you crazy? Is this this demand of faith? God says yes, by faith and by faith alone. Thank God he didn't kill him. God, God stopped his hand. But the fact of the matter is he lifted his life and he was willing to kill. The only case over there you will see is God did not ask Abraham to offer Sarah. He did not ask Job to curse his wife. Everything else, yes. Because God, still in his order, he sees the man and the woman has one. He doesn't see them as two. So the only, actually, I tell people when counseling, I tell them, the only reason in the new covenant, God allows divorce. The only reason. I go beyond the entire commandments of the Old Testament. The only reason he allows, he says, if the un believing spouse leaves. Let him go. Let her go. Why? His final principle, light and darkness cannot dwell together. But, if the unbelieving spouse wants to stay, 
let him stay. You only risk. I don't even allow, I don't even accept adultery, violence, none of this. For this, if you cannot handle it, separate for a while. I don't accept divorce for any reason except that. Because he sees man and woman as one. Because Christ and Israel as one. Christ and the church as one. And it gave Israel a bill of divorce and sent her away. He cut away the natural branch because of because of unbelief. Let the unbelieving spouse go. Let the unbelieving child go. Let the unbelieving member go. That's why be clear minded. Be very very sober minded. Shall we stand? Yes Peter, lead us. fighting for? Are we fighting for Christ? Or are we fighting for flesh? Are we fighting for the righteousness of God? You heard on Wednesday the zeal of Phineas. The zeal of Phineas. How he took a spear and he ran it through the man and the woman in the tent. The zeal he was fighting for the righteousness of God. We're not fighting for flesh. What are we fighting? We hear all these prayer requests. God sees those prayers. He answers many of them. 
But most of them are temporal needs. But the real needs are not temporal. Those are eternal. The real battles are not temporal. They are not over a house or a car or a promotion or a job or studies. These are all temporal. Solomon had all of it and yet he lost the real battle. He became a miserable, bitter old man. Yet he had everything. Real battles are inside. We look into our hearts, we know whether we are getting better or bitter. More patient or more angry. More sober-minded or more drunk. For everyone who has overcome the world, has overcome first in the mind. By faith. For faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of God. Abraham. God said, leave. He struggled. He had no issue with leaving earth. As long as father went with him, the household with him, he had no problem in leaving the place. He was not attached to the place, but he was attached to people whom God wanted him to leave. We may have no problem in moving from place to place, but we may have issues from moving from certain people. He was hurt, he grieved. Then God said, listen to Sarah, let Ishmael go. Because once he had stood before and cried out, Lord bless Ishmael. Let your promises be all be fulfilled in Ishmael. That's how much his heart was bent on Ishmael. Lord, I know I created this ministry. But now I pray, Lord, you come and involve yourself in this ministry. God said, no. I will bless him. But he will be never part of that calling. Are we willing to let go of the Ishmaels in our life? Very close to us. Birthed in our own strength. What of that thing that is of God in our life? We know this is of God, by God, for God. All of this in my life is God and God's. God says, can you bind it to the altar? Kill it? Do you know what it means? Can you hand it over to God? Allow God to hand it over to somebody else. God asked me one day, if I take your church from you and give it to somebody else, will you let it go? Your church is Isaac. Will you let it go? Every stage, it's a different battle. It's not the same. Every battle, there is a promise prophesied over us by God Himself. In all these things, you are more than conquerors. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Father, this morning we just come to you. We look at your word, we look at your promise. 
You have called us more than conquerors. So I believe for everyone standing here. Whatever their struggle may be. Maybe it's with an emotion like jealousy. Or it may be an addiction. Whatever struggle they may be facing inside. Today. Yesterday. Tomorrow. There is a promise of victory. The promise is everyone who is born of God overcomes this world. We are born to overcome. We are born of Christ to overcome. And I pray, Father, we will see the real battles are inside. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit your husband in all things. Children, obey your parents. Employees, respect and honor your employers. Employers, treat your employees with kindness. Shepherds, shepherd your sheep. Feed them in season, out of season. Bring out the good things and the old things. Sheep, honor those who minister among you, who teach you. Everywhere, Lord, it's this battle we fight. The battle to love, the battle to forgive, the battle to submit, the battle to honor, the battle to revere, the battle to respect. Above all, the battle to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, all our strength. But I believe, O Lord, if you have said it is possible, it is possible. For your word says, all things are possible to him that believeth. Therefore it is possible Lord. And if you have said it is possible. Who is man to say it is impossible. It is possible. Therefore we fight this battle Lord. We look at the the cloud of saints who have gone before us. We look at you on the cross saying it is finished. We look at Stephen dying and winning that battle. We look at Paul at his end saying I have fought this good fight. I finished this race. And I have kept my faith. We have witnesses. One day, Father, we want to join that cloud of witnesses as overcomers. So I pray, Father, once again this morning, you will release your anointing upon your people. We need your anointing. Without your anointing, we cannot fight this battle. Even you who taught them for three years and told them to go, told them to wait. For this battle, we need power. For this battle, we need your word. For this battle, we need strategies. For this battle, we need a sober mind. For this battle, we need to put you first in our life. Empower us today once again. Help us to go the rest of this month fighting this good fight. Winning this battle each day. That our God may have glory. Touch your children, Lord. Bless your children, youngest to the oldest. Deliver them from the powers of darkness. Set them free, Father. For this purpose, the Son of Man came that he might destroy the works of the devil. And I pray, Father, today that every work of the devil with which people are struggling today be broken in Jesus' name. Let young and old be set free, Father, to serve you, to walk with you, to worship you, to work for you, Lord. Set us free, Lord. Set us free to serve you, Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. By faith, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. 
Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.